Imagine a world where innovation knows no bounds. At BAE Systems Fast Labs, we're pioneering advanced technology and defense research, shaping the future of safety and security. Explore our website to uncover a realm of cutting-edge projects, collaborations, and visionary thinkers. Whether you're a tech enthusiast, a defender of freedom, or just curious, Fast Labs is where groundbreaking solutions are born. Join us and be part of the future today. Visit www.baesystems.com slash fastlabs. Welcome to From the Crow's Nest, a podcast on electromagnetic spectrum operations, or EMSO. I'm your host, Ken Miller, Director of Advocacy and Outreach for the Association of Old Crows. Thanks for listening. Well, welcome back to AOC 2021 and our From the Crow's Nest podcast live here at AOC's 58th Annual International Symposium and Convention. I want to thank our episode sponsor today, Anritsu, for all the episodes. Anritsu offers new ideas and technology to go beyond conventional testing and add increased value and innovation. Their complete solutions are designed to meet your ever-changing market needs. Learn more at anritsu.com. Anritsu, beyond testing, beyond limits. All right, my guest here for the final episode of From the Crow's Nest here at AOC 2021 is none other than Brian Clark. He is senior fellow at the Hudson Institute. And for our listeners, you'll recognize him because he was one of my early guests here when we launched the podcast back in the spring. So Brian, it's great to have you back on From the Crow's Nest and in person. Thanks, Ken. It's great to be here. And it's great to be here at the AOC convention. It's uh, nice to be able to do it in person. Oh, excellent. And, and thank you for swinging by here. You just finished your session. Uh, you you, you uh, were on the panel on one of the breakout sessions on, called uh, on, on 5G and uh, wanted to ha- spend a few minutes here talking to you about the what what were some of the topics that you discussed on, on, on 5G, where it's going, how government and commercial uh, sectors are working together to take advantages of that. Um, so let me start off with your presentation. What was, what was the main message that you wanted to get across to the audience? So we've uh, been researching 5G for a couple of years at Hudson Institute, uh, partly funded by uh, the Navy, and also we're doing a new project started uh, this year with uh, OSD R&E, Research Engineering. Uh, And uh, my takeaway that I wanted to give to the audience was that 5G offers us an opportunity for a lot of military applications uh, that deal with MSO beyond just communications. And I think, you know, people think of 5G as just another radio, just another way to be able to communicate among military forces. It's going to look a lot like what we see today in civilian uh, communications applications, but instead, actually, 5G, the way the architecture is built, the way the radios are designed, it allows you to do uh, electromagnetic spectrum operations from each one of these connected devices. So you can do jamming and communications and sensing both passively and actively and have that managed by the, the 5G uh, core and uh, edge networks. So, so, so it enables this, con- this notion of multifunction and, and right. brings it in, into fruition. Right. So 5G could enable us to get to a multifunction set of uh, arrays that are out in a distributed battle space much faster than any of the, condi- the, the current approaches that we're taking within DOD. Um, so it's it's a surprising outcome of 5G. I think people didn't think of this as the, maybe the end use in fi- for the military of 5G. I think people thought of it as being mostly a communication technology. I think we're now we're realizing that it offers this opportunity for multifunction emitters to be put onto different platforms, including distributed small objects, small platforms like uh, Skyborg, Golden Horde, and uh, air-launched effects. 
So we're, we're seeing that 5G's use cases in the military be much broader than what we might have originally imagined. That was the big takeaway from our research that I wanted to convey to the audience. We talked about that for a little while at the panel. Yeah, and, and I think that's one of the, the, the values of innovation. You, you, you tend to, uh, oftentimes when you, when you think of something new, you, you're, you're only looking at it from your familiar perspective. And a lot of the conversation this week has been getting uncomfortable a little bit and, and opening yourself up to what are some of the possibilities. And, and this is a perfect example of where We've seen this develop. We've seen a lot. We've heard a lot of talk, particularly in the commercial industry, about building the 5G infrastructure. Now, all of a sudden, it's coming into the military, and it's, it's opening doors for things that we've wanted to do for a long time, but we haven't necessarily been able to. Right. And, and what's interesting is you look at the 5G technologies, because 5G is kind of a collection of technologies and a set of protocols and rules, but it's not a set of it's not a standard in the same way that like Link 16 is a standard, where it's a defined frequency and a defined message format and everything. 5G is this you know collection of uh, how you might put things together and then reference designs that say, here's one example of how you could put it together, and then another reference design shows another way you could put it together. That's kind of how the internet is, des is designed. So I'd say internet be able, it connects with one another. It's not a defined standard. It's instead a, a set of use cases that are then approved or agreed to by everybody. Um, so in 5G, the technologies that underpin 5G are a lot of the ones that we've talked about in the military as being essential for a long time. So MIMO uh, you know, technology for multi-input, uh, multi-output transmission and reception. That's, that's part of 5G. That's just baked in. That's something we've been trying to pursue in the military for a long time to get high bandwidth or to get uh, broad area networks uh, to be able to use between distributed platforms. Um, the use of GAN, uh, gallium nitride uh, transmissions and reception, that's part of 5G. Um, the uh, virtualization of the back end of your uh, transmitter receiver, uh, turning that all into be basically a software-defined architecture rather than hardware. That's something we've been pursuing in MSO for a long time. That's part of 5G from the start. So the technologies being pursued on the civilian side for 5G are a lot of the ones we've been developing in the DoD to try to get to this multifunction, highly software-defined, highly adaptable way of operating in the spectrum. So it's a confluence of events that have allowed us to maybe take advantage of the commercial investment now to more rapidly field a force that's able to really do the you know, electromagnetic battle management that we've been talking about but not really achieving yet. And now, you, as you're starting to realize you can do more and more in it with the 5G, uh, that of course means you start to cross some lines and, and start to challenge some processes and, and some uh, uh, lines of authority and resources. So what I would imagine that's kind of an obstacle, you know, it's, it's one thing to say you can do it. It's another thing to actually do it and field it and test it and make sure it's, it, 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 it's realized the way you want it. So what, is that an obstacle uh, or what are some of the obstacles that you have going forward on this? Absolutely. And that's what we talked about at the panel was, um, you know, if you're, uh, you look at the current force as a set of, you know, existing communication networks, it's got a set of, you know, existing radars and passive sensors and they all are integrated in with, you know, usually not very open, uh, somewhat proprietary uh, processors that then transmit, you know, the results of that, you know, sensor or that communications off the off the platform. Um, integrating a new 5G architecture into that is going to be difficult, and that's one of the things that. You know, companies like Lockheed Martin and Keysight and others are working on is how do I make it so that I can put onto an F-35, 
you know, essentially the 5G processor package um, that then manages my all my apertures that are on that F35 and does the resource allocation you know, between them and is able to then pipe that information off just like they were a set of 5G uh, radios or something that, that are existing in the civilian world. That's going to be a, kind of the far future model. In between now and then, though, what we're likely to get is a situation where the apertures that are on an F-35 are going to get controlled rem remotely from off that platform. So uh, kind of like the way we do at MQ-9 today is the sensors are managed by somebody else. It's not actually the airplane that's doing it. Um, on the F-35, you could see a similar thing where those, uh, those sensors, those radios are being managed by something off the platform that is acting as that 5G radio access network hub. And that 5G architecture then is able to use all of those antennas to either do reception, transmission, uh, and sensing and, and communication. Um, and then before then even, the, the instantiation we're likely to see is uh, with the new programs like Golden Horde or Skyborg or Air, Air Launched Effects, these are all green fields, right? There's no defined you know, radios or sensors or jammers on them yet. We could build those in to be 5G compliant so that you can go from the start, operate that distributed set of uh, platforms like a 5G network. Um, so they would drive out and then they would be able to communicate with each other and with the hub, which might be the airplane that launched them, and conduct EMSO. You know, they would be able to do jamming, sensing, communication simultaneously and have that coordinated by a, a 5G you know, network hub, just like there were a little 5G network out in the civilian world. And now, now with, with, with 5G, now you are through the Hudson Institute, you're working on a, a, a study. You had a, you you started this discussion in, at Hudson uh, about a year ago with with a previous report you had on uh, weaponizing 5G value chain, and and that's ongoing. Um, you probably obviously took a lot of that report into your, your presentation. Um, where, from a Hudson Institute research standpoint, where is this conversation going over the next year? Yeah, so the, what we've done up to this point is focused on how can we uh, be, make the U.S. more competitive in the 5G market. Because uh, one of the challenges we have today is that you've got open RAN, open our, our architecture radio access networks, which is the future of 5G. Um, that would open up you know, the, the supplying of parts of that radio access network, which is the part where the cell tower is, and that you actually connect to it with your cell phone. Um, make that disaggregated so it could be provided by a bunch of different suppliers. Um, that would open up opportunities for U.S. business because right now most 5G or actually all 5G networks that are existing right now are proprietary uh, systems that are built entirely by either Ericsson or Nokia or Huawei uh, or Samsung. And it's all Samsung or Huawei equipment um, and it's built around proprietary standards. So Open RAN allows you to disaggregate that and allow equipment from different manufacturers to be cobbled together to create that 5G radio access network. So that, that, that creates a competitive opportunity for the United States. So what we focused on is how to make investments like with the CHIPS Act, which is you know on the, on the Hill right now looking to be invested in. How can you use that investment to make U.S. companies more competitive in providing the equipment for these open radio access networks in the future to be able to compete with Huawei, which has kind of had a dominant market position up till now, but um, you know is not as high performing as what you might get with some of these U.S. Uh, open networks when you combine them with cloud service providers like Microsoft that could provide the back-end virtualization for the core network. So AT&T is already pursuing this by 
you know, pursuing open radio access networks and then working with Microsoft to provide their uh, virtualized cloud-based uh, processor for the, for the core network, um, which is going to really increase the performance of 5G and gives you a lot of new, lot of new services that you can't get with today's hardware-based networks, which is what Huawei has been generally providing. Now, now, now you mentioned some like, some uh, in-the-future applications of 5G, and, and in commercial technology, whenever, you have, whenever you're in one area, you're already thinking what's next, yeah. and, and I think, uh, I believe 6G also, was, we, we all are already starting to hear, like, well, what's after 5G, we're talking about 6G. What does, how does that factor into what you can do today and where is 6G, 6G going? Yeah, so what our research focused on previously was how to make the US competitive in the 5G marketplace so that you have a commercial business or set of commercial businesses that are building 5G equipment that then DOD can take advantage of, right? So we can have these DOD specific applications of 5G that do tactical operations like we talked about, which will start out with things like you know, Golden Horde and air launched effects where it's you can build a little 5G network to go execute an operation. That's our research is focusing right now. And then as you go forward into 6G, what 6G is going to do is build on 5G. So it's not like 5G, which replaces essentially 4G LTE. 6G will build on 5G to provide you a uh, more virtualized core and radio access network. So edge processing and core network processing that's entirely virtualized and enables you to uh, build AI functionality into it from the start so that you can have, um, and then also ultra low latency communication. So, uh, 5G has a bunch of frequency bands it can operate in. Um, the lower bands offer you know, lower throughput, uh, longer latency. Higher frequencies give you lower latency, higher throughput, but they have shorter range. Well, 6G is moving even higher up into you know, the you know, sub uh, uh, terahertz you know, area, so up into the you know, 100, 100 gigahertz and higher frequency bands, which give you really low, free, low, really low latency, really high bandwidth, but extremely short ranges. So they're designed for these really you know, close networks of machine-to-machine -machine communication. So 6G provides this ability to do these little mini networks at the edge that are doing this ultra-low latency communications between machines. That might be what you'd see with an air-launched effects uh, you know, group that's going out to do some jamming operation. They might use a 6G network to be able to talk to each other and be able to make decisions about you know, what to jam and what to communicate with and what to, what to do with a sensing operation. And then back, you'd see a 5G network behind that that allows you to communicate between that edge you know, little network and then what's going on with the rest of the force. So 6G builds on 5G and provides you that ability to do this machine-to-machine AI-enabled communication at the extreme edge at really short ranges. Uh, now one, one of the things we, uh, in, in, with some of my previous guests, we've talked about, and it's, co it's come up uh, several times, is this idea of embedding warfighters with technologists to, to kind of get that warfighter perspective on what they can do. I was just talking to General Hino earlier today, and we kind of switched that and how, you know, embedding the technologist in with the warfighter. Um, have you seen that type of exchange happen? What, what is your response to how, how can we get the warfighter and the technologist as we're thinking about implementing 5G, going to 6G, getting them to work sooner in the process right. to speed this along? Yeah, I, I completely agree with what uh, General Hynote was talking about there because um, 
in the workshops we've been doing in support of our research for OSD in the Navy, um, that's what we try to do is bring technologists and operators together. And it's usually a small number of technologists with a large number of operators. Uh, and I think what you know, General Hino's talking about is uh, when we start thinking about use cases for 5G, what we need is 5G experts to go out and see how we operate the force today and identify opportunities to where 5G could help us do the things we're trying to do today, but maybe do it better. Um, and I think the reverse, when we try to put operators with the 5G technologists, doesn't work as well because the technologists kind of tend to drive the conversation around, you know, what what's the incremental improvement that they would like to achieve over the next, you know, few months or years. When instead the warfighters are looking at, you know, maybe more challenging operational problems, and the it okay opens up the aperture in terms of what the technologists are willing to consider. So I found that having an operator-driven discussion ends up making, you know, opening up more possibilities and forces. The, the technologists to think a little bit farther into the future than maybe their near-term you know, goals for, for their engineering development. Um, and so that's why that's kind of where we came up with some of these tactical use cases is by bringing technologists into an operation or uh, operator-led discussion. Now, now, yesterday afternoon, I had the, the pleasure of interviewing Michelle Flournoy on, yep. on, on the main stage. And, uh, you know, when, when you talk about technology and you talk about uh, you know the future of engineering and international partnerships and all this, all the topics that we have here today. Uh, it can get overwhelming in terms of how we prioritize and how we invest and resource. And and she came up with a really good recommendation. You know, pick three things to really focus on um, and pursue those. And I wanted to put that with you as we go into 5G. You know, your main message is about how it opens up the possibilities. What are three things that we really need to focus on? and prioritize moving forward out of here. Right, so uh, what we found in the work we've been doing for DARPA and OSD is that we need to orient around operational problems. Instead of the, a requirements type process, think about identifying an operational problem that we have to solve or else we can't successfully deter China, for example. So um, you know, come up with those operational problems and then start working backwards. Uh, and in uh, you know, the tech world, they talk about this as a um, backwards looking uh, de depiction, which is kind of a vision for the future. But I think, um, so one of those is going to be um, the idea of distributed electromagnetic spectrum operations uh, by, uh, by unmanned systems at the edge. So essentially, you know, air-launched effects, golden horde, you want to launch out a lot of small UAVs or small USVs, and they're going to go do some electromagnetic spectrum operation. Well, it's fundamentally multifunction. It's fundamentally distributed and networked. Um, 5G can really empower that. That's a great use case to try to solve. Also, it doesn't involve uh, eliminating or integrating with legacy systems because those are all brand new capabilities. Uh, but they're, they're, they're going to exist. They're existing now. They're going to be you know, existing in the very near future. I think that's one very important thing to try and solve. I think a second thing we can try to address is uh, acting using 5G as a backup communications uh, method to support JADC2. Because uh, right now what we have with JADC2 is you know an effort to try to improve the interoperability between existing networks and allow data to be you know, transferred or transitioned between them. Um, that effort should continue, but what 5G could do is by putting a cheap you know, relatively cheap 5G radio and all of these participants in a network, you can have a backup method of communication that allows them to, you know, be able to do some kind of handshake that allows you to understand, you know, where they all are, what their conditions are, you know, maybe provide the information necessary to allow the translation to occur between the more secure networks that has to follow. So 5G can provide that kind of substrate or infrastructure communication capability that ends up being necessary in a lot of cases to allow translation to occur between the kind of more, you know, high-end networks like Mattel and iFidel and, and um, TTNT. Uh, so th those are really two big things we could do.
Well, that will conclude this episode of From the Crow's Nest. I want to thank our episode sponsor, Enritsu. Beyond testing, beyond limits for sustainable future together. You can learn more at enritsu.com. And we made it to the final episode of From the Crow's Nest here at AOC 2021. We have one more show daily episode to bring to you here shortly, so please stay tuned. But I want to thank you, our listeners, for joining us this week via our podcast. Uh, to learn more about the podcast and the sponsor episodes or uh, join us here in the booth, please visit our website at crows.org slash podcast. Thank you for listening. Fast Labs, powered by BAE Systems, is at the forefront of advanced technology and defense research, development, and production. They're pushing boundaries, breaking barriers, and innovating for a safer world. Check them out at www.baesystems.com slash fastlabs.